daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Hello and welcome to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Coming up, China is seeking to boost this country's economic outlook at the annual trade fair in Shanghai. And we are going to take a look at Anthony Blinken's second tour of the Middle East since Israel declared war on Hamas. Chinese mainland unveiled new measures in a move to optimize exit entry services for Taiwan compatriots. And U.S. officials and lawmakers express support for extension of a particular Africa trade program. So, if you want to listen to this episode again or to catch up on our previous episodes, download our podcast by searching "World Today." First up, China is committed to promoting high-level opening up and building an open world economy. Chinese President Xi Jinping gave the assurance in a message to the sixth edition of the China International Import Expo, which opened in Shanghai on Sunday. More than 3,400 exhibitors are represented at this expo, which will host over 120 activities on the sidelines, including the Hongqiao International Economic Forum. At the opening ceremony, Chinese Premier Li Qiang affirmed China's commitment to opening up a market and sharing the country's opportunity with the rest of the world. Premier Li Qiang also said that China's imports of goods and services. Are expected to reach 17 trillion U.S. dollars in cumulative terms over the next five years. So, for more on this, my colleague Zhao Yang earlier had a talk with Professor Liu Baochen with the University of International Business and Economics. So, President Xi has stressed the Chinese commitment to high-level opening up and further economic globalization. Professor Liu, how do you assess this message? Well, this message、uh, has been time and again emphasized by the Chinese leadership since the Chinese open door policy, because we gradually and steadily opened our door to the outside world for trade and investment and technological cooperation. But this time, it is also uh, the uh, bears、uh, special importance in that、uh, globally we see there is rising sentiment for protectionism. And also, the、uh, global trade has been declining. And by the recent forecast of WTO, the world trade for this year、uh, shall dwindle from 1.7 percent growth rate、uh, to 0.8. And、uh, the forecast is uh, not really uh, optimistic, even for the、uh, next two years to come. So, under uh, this uh, global backdrop. And China, as the second largest economy and largest trader,、uh, it is、uh, there to provide more confidence and assurance、uh, for the world that China continues to serve as the locomotive for global growth and also promotional trade and investment. And Premier Li Qiang has also reiterated the message of opening up in his speech at the opening ceremony of CIIE. He emphasized that China's huge market demand. So, how do you think the Chinese market contribute to the global economic recovery? Well, China uh, registered uh, high uh, growth in terms of the、uh, import and export. For last year, and there has been some sort of decline due to the reshuffling of、uh, a global supply chain. And、uh, now, Premier Li Qiang brings、uh, such sort of issue is to、uh, again assure to the world that uh, uh, China is there to contribute to global growth because merely from the import perspective,、uh, China, the on annual basis,、uh, we import. 270 billion U.S. dollars of goods and services and technologies from from all over the world. Well, this figure is almost identical to the entire GDP of France and higher than the GDP of Russia. That's something that's、uh, humongous to、uh, bring up the、uh, global confidence in trading、uh, with China and also to assure that China、uh, occupies a crucial role in the global supply chain. And that also、uh, gives more opportunities for the small and medium-sized companies、uh, for their entrepreneurship with China. There had、uh, actually during the speech,、uh, Premier Li、uh, also mentioned a anecdote where the、uh, small U.S. firm 
could really uh, become uh, so much sizable uh, simply by engaging with China uh, through the window of the Chinese uh, import export. Mm. And now it's very crucial at the moment when the world is really facing uh, fragmentation and uh, globalization is under mounting challenges and multilateralism needs to be defended by nations with uh, responsibility. So what's China's role or approach, uh, especially under such a global situation? Uh, well, uh, China uh, continues to uh, open its door by uh, providing facilitation for market entry for, uh, to all the global investors and traders uh, with uh, the Chinese market. And therefore, uh, for uh, the last few years, we opened more of the special uh, trade zones. And now we are also are there to open the uh, free port in Hainan Island. In the meantime, the Chinese customs, uh, Chinese uh, inspection organizations are also streamlining their uh, procedures to facilitate the imports. Uh, uh, more significantly, China is teaming up with uh, uh, more of the Asian countries for the uh, regional comprehensive economic partnership. And we also seek the membership within the CPTPP, which is the Comprehensive Progressive uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership. And China firmly uh, defend the role of uh, WTO, which is uh, uh, facing an impasse, but it is still uh, important to bring the world together on a rule-based trading system. And then uh, the Belt and Road Program is uh, something that uh, that's the Chinese initiative, but shared by more and more countries to have a more uh, fair and equitable trading system. And we can see that more African countries, Central Asian countries, and even Latin American countries are showing high enthusiasm to participate uh, in the Belt and Road Program. And hopefully, uh, this can also be uh, more of the uh, free trade agreements and investment protection agreements, double taxation agreements, so that uh, we also have a more predictable and uh, identified rules to play with. Mm. And this is the sixth edition of the China International Import Expo, and this is also the first edition after the COVID pandemic. What are some of the major expectations from the business circle for this year's event? Well, there has been pent up uh, the passion to uh, get engaged with China, and we noticed there's quite a surge. Uh, more than uh, 3,000 companies are there, and also the uh, Nearly seven, uh, 70 countries are also active participants, and there's also a forum going on. Uh, it's not only there to uh, uh, seek the Chinese market opportunities, but also to find a more holistic approach to uh, getting engaged with the global partners for the Chinese companies. So uh, it is under the theme of import, but actually uh, we can see that uh, uh, in those uh, discussion rooms, negotiation rooms, uh, you know, more of the uh, diverse mode of col collaboration was conducted uh, in terms of the investment, technological cooperation, contract manufacturing, and uh, uh, collective branding. So uh, this is really something that gives the business community a, uh, not only the confidence, but a real platform uh, for them to work together. And uh, 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 from the fact uh, over the last the uh, five uh, editions of the uh, Chinese Expo, uh, actually uh, more than uh, 350 billion U.S. dollars has been achieved merely in terms of imports. And today also when the e-commerce is highly developed, we can see that more of the uh, the uh, uh, vendors are really there to stage their booths and uh, another big opportunity is really the digital uh, digitization. So we can see more of the high-tech companies are uh, having their show and actively promoting their brand and, uh, and also market uh, entry into China. Mm. And we are talking about imports. We know that China has one of the world's largest consumer markets. And talking about opportunities, we think is a lot. Uh, how about the key term high quality? It looks like it will be the key term for China's future development, right? So how will that fold out at this year's event? Well, uh, high quality growth, uh, it means that uh, it's not only 
the uh, economic figures uh, and growth figures that determine the uh, growth rate, but also uh, we uh, take a more balanced approach between economic growth versus uh, the uh, environmental quality versus the uh, social governance and uh, also the uh, people's welfare are really placed on top of the uh, agenda. And the fact that it, uh, the uh, Chinese uh, import, uh, the export, is really to help to enrich the variety of the Chinese consumption pattern. And uh, we used to really only uh, focus on boosting the uh, Chinese export, but now imports is there to uh, enrich the livelihood of the Chinese people and uh, let them to have more choices and also to experience the the high quality product and services from all over the world. And now the uh, institutional opening is really on the horizon where uh, China is uh, uh, getting more synchronized with the rest of the world uh, with uh, the global norms and the global standard. And particularly in terms of the quality control in the uh, real trading practices. And because the world trade is getting more sophisticated, uh, for example, uh, how the digital world can be managed, uh, privacy uh, is protected, but in, in the meantime, more of the information can be shared for uh, uh, the global collaboration. So, uh, so these are really something that uh, China is exploring its own uh, own way of uh, engaging with the rest of the world on fair and equitable basis. But in the meantime, we follow more closely about the existing and effective rules of play uh, for trade and investment. Mm. And the import expo is not only about trading or import some actual goods, but also about exchanging ideas on future business. For example, some of the executives from the multinational companies, they mentioned the importance of the uh, uh, continuation, at least for supply chain and the industrial value chain. So how can the CIIE help in this regard? Uh, CIE is really now uh, very sophisticated, where uh, it it is really composed of the three components. Uh, we have the uh, nation expo. Uh, we also have the business expo. And then we also have the forum. So within this forum, first, the uh, uh, global the uh, investors and traders are very much eager to listen to the updates of the Chinese policy. Then uh, people need to renew their handshake because business are really handled by people, and trust building is uh, very important for people to really to meet each other face to face. And uh, uh, then, you know, through uh, more of the discussion, uh, the uh, business opportunities can unfold uh, with themselves. Uh, this is really a springboard and a platform for them to further engage and also deeply ben uh, benefiting uh, from collaboration along the entire supply chain. Professor Liu Baochun with the University of International Business and Economics talking to my colleague Zhao Yang. You are listening to World Today. Stay tuned. Hello, my name is Alessandro Golombievski Teixeira. I'm a professor of public policy and management at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I am a great listener of The World Today. In my opinion, The World Today is one of the best China radio programs. In The World Today, we can get the best news and analysis in what is happening now in the world. So please, come to join us. You are listening to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. An American multinational company welcomes China's pledges to support high-quality opening up expressing optimism about the Chinese economy. In a conversation with my colleague Xu Yawen at the ongoing China International Import Expo in Shanghai, Marriott International Greater China President Mao Yibing said she is encouraged to hear about China's vows to continue expanding the country's market access and promoting high-quality opening up. And despite a lagging world economy, Marriott still sees a quote-unquote huge opportunity for growth in the Chinese economy, especially in the travel industry. 
Mao added that Marriott remains dedicated to strengthening its business presence in the Chinese market and bringing the world together. Let's take a listen. At the opening ceremony of the CIIE, Premier Li Qiang announced four major measures to promote China's high-quality opening up. Under the guidance of the eight action plans announced at the Belt and Road Forum by President Xi Jinping, so the four measures focused on expand market access, rule and regulations, innovation, and global cooperation. What are your main takeaways from these measures? Well, first of all, I find it、um, hugely inspiring and encouraged by Premier Li's key messages. It indicates to the outside world loud and clear that China is open to the world and continue to be open and accessible to the world. Innovation is very important. Technology plays a very important role, propel the growth in across all industries. I think that's something we all need to be focusing on. And operating in China, we all. Need to be abide by the Chinese rules and the regulations, and being a good corporate citizens. I think it's all part of our responsibilities to operate in China. In terms of international collaboration, and I think that's very important. It especially resonate with Marriott International, as you know, that Marriott International is a global leading hospitality company. We have over five thousand hotels globally in China. We have five hundred twenty hotels operating in twenty-four brands, and with that, we really cater to our Chinese customers, and we facilitate the international collaborations. And we hope that we will keep to play a very important role in facilitating. The international collaboration front. Marriott International has participated in the CIIE every year since the expo launched six years ago. What's new at Marriott's exhibition this year, and what fresh opportunities do you see the CIIE offer Marriott and other foreign businesses? Yeah, we're very excited about the CIIE every year. It's a great exposure for international company like ours. And we find it's a very important platform for us. It gives us exposure to a lot of our customers, and we also use the opportunity to interact with our suppliers and also see what you know other players in the industry, what they are doing, and to get a better sense of the、uh, market trends. We also find this is also an opportunity that we could access the. Regulators and help us better understand the policies、um, that are affecting our industries. And for this year, this month actually, we have just celebrated the 100th Sheraton opening in China. And having been inter and operating in China for nearly 40 years, this is a huge milestone for us. We're very excited about it. Um, Sheraton has this grand mission, which is connecting people. We launched this hundredth opening and a very key moment, and we're very proud of it. In June, Marriott opened its five hundredth hotel in China, marking a significant milestone after nearly forty years of operation in the country. It also has plans to open more properties and increase investment in Thailand. So, what factors? Drive Marriott's decision to strengthen its presence in the Chinese market, and how do you assess China's business environment from a perspective of a U.S. company?、Um, China is one of the most important、uh, market. It's also the second largest market outside the U.S. for Marriott International. We are and continue to be very committed to、uh, the growth in China. If you look at it, it's really a couple of reasons, right? Number one. Is that China is the second、um, largest economy is going to continue to grow, and many economists predict that Chinese GDP is going to continue to grow at a five percent and plus maybe, and while the world economy is growing at a two plus percent, so you can see that huge opportunity of growth still resting China, and second is really China, especially when it comes to travel industry. 
the World Travel and um, Tourist Council predicted that in the next 10 years, China's travel industry is going to contribute to the Chinese GDP by roughly 40-15%, and that's a very large contribution. And we also see that Chinese you know, middle class is rapidly expanding, and by 2025, the percentage of upper middle class in China is going to exceed 50% of the Chinese household. And that's roughly is going to be around 200 million households in that um, segment. So there is still a lot of opportunities of growth. Of course, the Chinese government continue to invest in infrastructure, you know, building airports, continue to build high-speed railways, and that just expands the travel destinations for Chinese customers. So to enable to continue to ride the rapid growth, we feel that um, Marriott International is uniquely positioned to cater that travel demand of the Chinese customers. So we are uh, very committed to China. We're very enthusiastic and optimistic about Chinese economy, especially the travel industry's growth. Let's talk about China's travel trend and its market potential. The new generation of travelers increasingly favors experiences and outdoor activities over sightseeing and landmark tours. What's driving this shift and how do you assess the market potential of this new trend? There are a couple of factors contribute to that. Uh, one is the population getting wealthier. Travel becomes more of a priority for many people. You have the more disposable income to travel. And also after the three years pandemic, and I think make people realize travel is such a key of people's experience. So I think people prioritize travel experience. When it comes to travel itself, more and more people are becoming more health conscious. They also wanted to expose themselves to more nature. And also people are seeking this, you know, more unique, individualized, personal experience, right? We have many brands and we cater our Chinese customers' travel habits. So for many of our hotels, for example, we partner with uh, local art museums and galleries to cater that experience. Coming from a background of knowing both China and U.S. very well, how important is it to maintain a stable China-U.S. relationship for the well-being of the people and for two countries' economic development? Uh, China is the second largest um, market outside the U.S. for Marriott International. And if you look at our China business in the entire Marriott, China, you know, in terms of open hotels, China constitutes about 10% of our entire open hotels. When you look at the pipelines of Greater China, our pipeline hotels occupy about 19% of the entire pipeline hotels that are opening in the next few years. So China is a very key market for us. We'll continue to be very committed and continue to be in this market. We have been operating in China for 40 years. Although we're a global company, we're also a Chinese company. And all of our owners are Chinese. Our, all of our associates who work for our companies are Chinese. And now about 90% of our customers are Chinese. So we're very committed to the Chinese market to bring the world together. Marriott International Greater China President Mao Yibing talking to my colleague Xu Yawen. More to come. Chinese mainland unveils new measures in a bid to optimize exit entry services for compatriots from Taiwan. U.S. officials express support for the extension of an Africa-related trade program. You are listening to World Today. For more, you can follow us on X at CGTN Radio. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. 
U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken says the Palestinian Authority could play a central role in any post-Hamas government in Gaza. Blinken made a remark in a meeting with Palestinian President Mohammed Abbas in the occupied West Bank on Sunday. However, Abbas suggested that the Palestinian Authority would only assume power in Gaza as part of a quote-unquote comprehensive political solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Gaza has been controlled by Hamas since 2007. Blinken is currently on his second trip to the Middle East since Israel declared war on Hamas. So joining us now on the line is Dr. Zhang Chuchu, associate professor and a deputy director with the Center for Middle Eastern Studies, Fudan University. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. So it looks like the Biden administration uh, is currently uh, shifting its attention uh, towards what will happen in Gaza and who will govern this territory if Israel. Can achieve its war aim of dismantling the Hamas. It is reported in media that one idea currently being discussed in Washington D.C. is a possible, you know, interim government run by Arab states or by the U.N. before a revitalized Palestinian authority takes over the governance. Why do you think Washington is turning its attention to this particular issue, and does that make sense? Yeah, well, actually,、um, indeed, you see that both the United States and Israel today they are planning some kinds of like post-Hamas era in Gaza Strip, and right now, actually,、um, you will it seems that the objective of Israel is to completely destroy Hamas、um, because they think that in this way it is going to make a real retaliation,、um, but that is not going to be easy. Well,、uh, because first of all,、um, it is very difficult to kill and catch all those Hamas militants. Well, yes, you can kill some like Hamas、uh, top leaders,、mm-hmm. but then a lot of people that can、um, become like new leaders. And another issue is that today, actually, Hamas has already become a label, so there can always be someone who are new militants and who label themselves as Hamas. So it's very hard to identify who is Hamas and who is not. And the second issue is that if there is an interim、um, government, as you have mentioned,、um, run by let's say an Arab state or the United Nations. Then it means that there is no real governor in the Gaza Strip,、mm. and actually, historical,、um, you know, empirical evidence in the Middle East shows that this is very likely、um, to leave a big political vacuum、uh, in the area, in the era,、um, which actually provides opportunities for you know new militant groups to rise.、Mm. So Israel has vowed to crush Hamas. Flatly ruling out even the possibility regarding a temporary ceasefire until all Israeli hostages are released by Hamas, and the United States, on the other hand, is also against a ceasefire, saying that would Hamas that would allow Hamas to regroup and then launch further attacks. Uh, do you think uh, this is putting、um, Israel and the United States? In an increasingly isolated position in the international community.、Um, in fact, you see,、um, a few days ago,、um, there were 120 countries, and they were all in favor of the ceasefire resolution、mm. of the United Nations, you know, General Assembly. And this shows that Israel and United States have not been widely supported right now in the international community regarding their、um, positions toward the issue. And I would say that this is because the international community is very concerned with the humanitarian crisis in the Gaza Strip. Right now, you see that the civilians they are forced to live in a terrible condition. And meanwhile, we also need to consider whether their positions are going to work.、Um, so, what the international community is also very worried about is if you just keep escalating the conflict and humanitarian crisis. Uh, is it that in the end you are going to receive a real peace, or is it that it only leads to more hatred and more violence?、Mm. So while opposing a ceasefire, on one hand,、uh, we understand the United States has actually, on the other hand, at least by、uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. He has、uh, proposed some sort of localized humanitarian pauses, which would allow it, you know, or which would、um, make it easier to bring 
uh, humanitarian aid into Gaza or help some of the foreign nationals stranded in Gaza Strip to leave that uh, region or territory. Now, realistically speaking, do you think it is feasible to do that when at a time when a ceasefire is not in place? Well, actually, the main idea of the so-called localized uh, humanitarian forces basically means that we should stop hostilities for a limited period of time within a certain geographical space. And it's like uh, within that period of time and in that specific space, okay, we can allow some like humanitarian aid to come into um, Gaza. But how is it going to work? I mean, after the local people, okay, let's say they receive some humanitarian aid, they will still need to receive distribute them to the people living in other places in the Gaza Strip. And how are you going to do that if there is not a real ceasefire in the whole region? And is it that you can ask, let's say, all the civilians to just come to these um, very limited space to get humanitarian aid? So you see a problem uh, right now in Gaza Strip is that in the end, a lot of local residents, they will have to be driven to live in certain specific areas in mm-hmm. Gaza Street, and their living space will be greatly reduced. Yeah. So, um, in a bigger picture sense, Dr. Zhang, uh, we know that for weeks, uh, Western and Arab diplomats have been warning that this Israel-Hamas conflict uh, risks triggering a broader war in the region, and they are particularly concerned about Hezbollah. Um, if we consider some of the most recent occurrence um, near the border area between Israel and, say, Lebanon. Do you think uh, that is a legitimate concern? Uh, yeah, okay. Right now, we all know that, if, let's say, um, Israel-Hamas conflict risks um, triggers a broader war in, in the region, as you just mentioned, then it will become a real disaster because the international oil market will then experience drastic fluctuations and also the Middle East will experience like widespread turmoil, and again, there will be a lot of like, humanitarian uh, crisis. But then the question is how to prevent it. And now we see, as you mentioned, that a lot of you know, the uh, sentiment um, of like, um, uh, ethnic group conflicts, it has already been motivated in the region. We see a lot of people, they are protesting in the street uh, against what is going on in the Gaza Street. So right now, um, the situation is getting worse. And also, we have to note that um, as for the United States, for instance, how are you going to you know, really stop it, or is it that you're going to escalate the issue? So currently, for example, the United States has already sent two aircraft carriers to the eastern Mediterranean Sea. Mm. So right now, people are now wondering, like, what is the real purpose behind that? Yeah. Uh, well, is it just for like protecting the American citizens in the region? So let's say, okay, something really becomes... Um, you know, really getting worse, and probably the United States is going to save their own citizens. And another theory is that, okay, we are just going to impose strategic deterrence towards the Middle Eastern countries surrounding Israel, so nobody is going to, you know, keep attacking Israel, so then there's going to be a peace. But in fact, you can call, in fact, you can still achieve both objectives by just sending one aircraft carrier. So um, by this, I would mean that, okay, even if you just send one aircraft carrier, you can still protect your American citizens. And also it is enough to um, send strategic deterrence signal to the local actors. But when you send two of those, um, mm. you know, yeah. carriers, yes. like, air, like aircraft carriers, then what do you mean? So it is going to cause a wide sense of insecurity among a lot of actors, no matter uh, whether they are state actors or non-state actors in the region, which may lead to a deterioration of the situation. Mm. Thank you very much for joining us. That was Dr. Zhang Chuchu, Associate Professor and Deputy Director with the Center for Middle Eastern Studies, Fudan University. You are listening to World Today. Stay with us. Hello, I am Dr. Digby James Wren, a political analyst and international relations scholar specializing in China area studies. World Today offers unmatched in-depth perspectives on China's politics, economics, business, technology and society. World Today's team of reporters and contributors provides valuable information from all of the world's major economies. I hope you can join me on World Today for the very best insights and news from China, on China and help to build a better understanding of China's role in the world today. You're listening to World Today. I'm Ding Hanin Beijing. 
The Chinese mainland has unveiled a set of entry-exit policies for Taiwan compatriots. The policies include ten specific measures to streamline Taiwan residents' travel pass application and make traveling from Taiwan to the coastal province of Fujian easier. The application process will also be cut down from 20 working days to 10 working days for Taiwan compatriots seeking to settle in Fujian. The policies are part of a bigger plan announced earlier this year to turn Fujian into a zone for integrated development with Taiwan. So joining us now on the line is Dr. Liu Kuangyu from the Institute of Taiwan Studies, Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. Thank you very much for joining us. Hello, everyone. This is Kuang Yu. So these ten measures we are talking about here are very detailed, actually, like allowing online travel pass application and、uh, establishing a sort of entry and exit document processing center in the city of Xiamen.、Uh, can you tell us some of the measures that have、uh, particularly caught your attention? Yes, there are、uh, quite a lot of measures that you mentioned. There are. Uh, measures of facilitating the exchange of Taiwan compatriots, and there are measures、uh, facilitating with,、uh, facilitating the passage the passage of personal and ships from Fujian and from Taiwan, and there are also terms、uh, of encouraging、uh, Taiwan compatriots to settle in Fujian.、Uh, my interest in the, in those terms in、uh, that facilitating the life and development of Taiwan compatriots in Fujian, which is a very Uh, which is a hotspot、uh, for those、uh, compatriots and Taiwanese people、uh, across the across the straits.、Uh, we we see that in this、uh, those new measures, the scope of online,、uh, for example, the scope of online verification service for the Taiwan compatriots、uh, will、uh, be expanded in future. And the Taiwan compatriots who come to Fujian for short-term tourism,、yeah. uh, like family visits and business,、mm-hmm. can also enjoy very convenient public services such as transportation and. Le- Electronic payment like WeChat,、uh, WePay, like、uh, something like that, and with other、uh, Taiwan compatriot certificates.、Um, the, those measures also promote the establishment of the so-called special windows for Taiwan compatriots and enterprises, and so-called immigration services stations to further expand the Taiwan-related service of the one two three six seven hotline and provide efficient policy consultation,、uh, business handling, and other. Uh, government services for Taiwan compatriots and enterprises in Fujian, and also we can see the talents from Taiwan are now allowed to enter and stay with foreign dom- domestic helpers to、mm-hmm. facilitate their living and work in Fujian. Okay, so a、mm-hmm. lot of convenience and a lot of、um, right. streaming,、uh, streaming down about some of the. You know, application procedures for Taiwan、yep. compatriots—that's for、mm-hmm. sure. So, in your observation of Taiwan affairs, has there been a positive reaction by Taiwan residents, for example, towards this plan to make Fujian a zone for the integrated development across the Taiwan Straits?、Uh, sure.、Uh, although it's predictable that those measures、uh, encountered confrontational reactions from the DP administration,、uh, they have widely received. Uh, positive ex- expectations across the island. The first is the people who participate in and benefit from the cross-strait exchanges almost every day. They can now enjoy、uh, huge convenience and cost-down from the new measures. And second, very di- directly, is the people on Kinmen and Matsu Islands. We know that uh, the uh, the the,、uh, the opinion、uh, we, you mentioned the opinion that,、uh, is. Uh, and mentioned to promote the overall integrated development in Fujian, including supporting Xiamen and Kinmen to accelerate and integrate, uh, 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 and supporting Fuzhou and Matsu to deepen their integrated development and so on. So there is a a, a better this is a better a demonstration role and synergy can be achieved in this uh, regional uh, integration is widely expected. So after the mainland has proposed the new four links. Jinjiang and Fujian has now already supplied water to Kinmen, and planning Xiamen and Kinmen cross sea bridge has already met conditions in terms of、uh, technology and funds, and and that's、uh, that that will meet the hope and the request of the local people. And the second and the third、uh, is that the businessmen. We know that in the economic field, the goal of building Fujian into a cross-strait integrated development demonstration zone is clearer, and its responsibilities are more 
specific, which is conducive to further optimizing the Taiwan-related business uh, business environment and deepening cross-industrial cooperation. In this way, uh, Taiwanese businessmen, especially those in manufacturing, in uh, agriculture and fisheries, and small and medium-sized enterprises, can find clear development goals and better integrate into the development of the mainland. And that's mm. also what they want. Okay. Um, some people or some politicians in Taiwan might accuse the mainland of hollowing out the talent base or the talent pool on, on this island through the Fujian-Taiwan Integrated Development Plan. But what is your take on this? Well, I see it, uh, it, a, I see it a ridiculous but also dangerous comment. The phrase so-called hollow out has a precondition or a prejudgment that the so-called Chinese mainland is malicious and also alien to Taiwan. In fact, both sides across the streets belong to one country, one nation, one people, and one economy. We have the closest links between each other. So apparently some others want to demonize those measures so that they can make preparations for the so-called unhooking or disconnection of the two sides. It's natural that elements uh, move freely across the straits for the best profit and efficiency. So this is a free market, uh, basic free market economic rules, and this mutual beneficial as well. Uh, in fact, we can see very clearly that it's the DVP administration who wants to block such free flow of production factors and um, elements for uh, political ends. Mm, okay. So the final question before we let you go. I mean, in a bigger picture sense. Um, some observers, not only over there in Taiwan, but I guess elsewhere, for example, in some of the Western countries or elsewhere in the international community, they might say that the Chinese mainland is offering or has long been offering Taiwan a choice between two pathways. One is peace and prosperity, and the other is war and decline. It yeah. is up to Taiwan. But is this how you see it? Yes, uh, from a micro perspective. First, we, uh, we see that the current cross-strait relations are still in a relatively tense and complex stage. The provocation of Taiwan independent separate forces on the island and external forces have constantly created dangerous situations of so-called decoupling and breaking up the chain and inducing the war between the two sides. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, we can see the Chinese mainland maintains a strategic focus and resolutely promotes the, uh, the warming and deepening the cross-strait exchanges and interactions in all aspects. The release of this opinion, this document at this time, and the measures uh, today are, shows that uh, the, the the mainland will continue to inject peaceful, positive energy into the development, into the development momentum, into the cross-border relations, and suppress the destructive forces of division and differentiation with the peace and integration. In fact, we can say that the Chinese mainland is now constructing and providing a prosperous new home for the Taiwan compatriots. If we can enjoy perpetual peace across the streets, well, this is the home with a greater expectation and possibilities for the Taiwanese people. And if troubles cause in the future, uh, for example, uh, the demonstration zone can be a shelter for the Taiwanese people compatriots, compatriots. And that is why it's important for we must clear the way for them to come and to work and to dwell in here, to purchase properties, to start business and so on. Thank you very much. That was Dr. Liu Kuangyu with the Institute of Taiwan Studies, Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. We'll be back. Hi, I'm Einar Tangen, a political and economic analyst and senior fellow at the independent Taihe Institute. World Today is news without the hype and business commentary that is informed and up to date. Presenting the facts and asking incisive questions. So, join us if you are someone who needs to know what is happening in China as it is happening. American officials and lawmakers have expressed support for the extension of a trade program between the U.S. and Africa. The African Growth and Opportunity Act is a U.S. legislation allowing sub-Saharan African countries duty-free access to U.S. markets if they meet certain conditions. It is currently slated to expire in September 2025. U.S. and African delegates have recently convened in South Africa for a forum surrounding this particular program.
So joining us now on the line is Dr. He Wenping, Africa expert and a senior research fellow with the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. Thank you very much for joining us. Hello, Dehan. Thank you for having me. So, what do you think is really、um, prompting American officials and lawmakers to,、uh, you know, to voice their support for the extension of this trade program? Well, the simple answer is America now needs Africa、uh, very much.、Uh, we all know、uh, ever since、uh, last year, especially this、uh, Ukraine crisis broke out, and then we have witnessed a number of.、Uh, White House, white, those are、uh, high-level officials、uh, visiting Africa one by one, one by one. So the purpose is trying to mirror Africa、uh, to two sides,、uh, standing together with the United States and also、uh, with those、uh, uh, European country. Now to you know two sides against Russia, also like uh, uh, not、uh, favor with China. So this is the diplomatic need and also economic need. Uh, needs Africans cobalt resources, yeah, for so-called decouple dealing,、uh, to organize their own, uh, just、uh, supply chain production chain in their, you know, under their charge.、Mm-hmm. So with, with those,、uh, so Africa now matters more、uh, than before. Mm. So on this most recent forum in South Africa, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa called on the U.S. Congress to extend、uh, this program for a far longer period than the previous ten-year extension that was granted in the year 2015. Do you think the U.S. Congress will agree to that? So far, it's、uh, hard to say.、Uh, the U.S. Congress will give a green light. Or not that easy to offer green light、uh, for this uh, longer uh, this extension、uh, because the U.S. Congress now is in the hands,、uh, you know, it's not saying uh, uh, the Democrats or like Republicans. Now it's almost、uh, you know half half. And then if a Democrat can fully in charge、uh, of this Congress, yeah, probably、uh, it's more possibility to extend、uh, the longer term. But for Republicans. Because in the history, traditionally speaking, yeah, they are not that favor、uh, this importance of、uh, Africa, especially when we hear the Donald Trump、uh, when he was in power in White House,、uh, serving as the president. He even called African countries just like、uh, uh, you know asshole countries. It's、mm. not important at all. So I think it depends on、uh, those、uh, you know、uh, this against and the favor or、uh, those kind of uh, debating uh, in the Congress. Hmm. Oh, by the way, talking about former U.S. President Donald Trump, and when we talk about this particular, you know, trade program between the two sides, this program was actually something that、uh, Trump took issue with when he was in power. I guess in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. Can you tell us more about that? And do you think the similar kind of、uh, drama will occur once again in the future? Oh yes,、uh, probably because、uh, those drama. Uh, the reason those、uh, drama were taking place always linked、uh, with uh, those uh, politicians in the White House. You know what kind of、uh, policy intention they have, what kind of understanding about Africa in their mind.、Uh, for example, you mentioned the former U.S. President Donald Trump. We all know、uh, Trump is starting his career just a business person. So in his understanding about、uh, the global issue, so always、uh, follow the interest. A、uh, fellow with this、uh, dollar, whether they can earn the dollar、uh, rather than like losing the dollar. So it's not like thinking too much about diplomatic issue, political benefits. Just eyes on money, money, money. So in that way, so even、uh, you know he、uh, preventing、uh, some country uh, like uh, Uganda, Rwanda, those、mm. countries saying, "Oh, you dare enough?" Uh, even want to、uh, you know stop importing. Second-hand clothes are from United States because those countries saying, "Oh, we don't welcome、uh, those second-hand clothes anymore."、Uh, but、uh, Donald Trump gave a lot of pressure to those countries, threatening them,、uh, saying, "If you are doing so, you are no longer、uh, can qualify enjoying this agua,、uh, this act." So under this pressure, so、uh, apart from Rwanda or other countries,、uh, they surrender. So this kind of、uh, using agua. Uh, as、mm. a weapon、uh, in their hand to give pressure to any initiative coming from African side, 
This is becoming, you know, the often used way uh, in the Donald Trump's uh, this, uh, administration. Hmm. So most recently, I guess it was um, uh, in in most recent weeks or the last week, more specifically, U.S. President Joe Biden, the current leader, announced his intention to kick uh, Niger, Gabon, the Central African Republic, as well as Uganda out of this uh, particular trade program. He accused these particular countries of failing to establish or make continual progress on issues like the rule of law or human rights. What do you think this tells us about the nature of this program? Yes, uh, there's a recent move uh, given by the Biden administration. You, you know, once again, it shows there's no much difference between Biden, uh, this uh, you know, Democratic Party, or like Donald Trump, this Republican Party dominated uh, government, U.S. government. So in terms of uh, those, uh, you know, defending Americans' interests and interfere African countries' domestic issues, so there's no much difference uh, coming from this bipartisan government in the White House. Actually, uh, the Agua by nature is, uh, as uh, you know, a weapon, uh, like a bargaining chip in the U.S., uh, using them as a leverage and then can interfere African countries with domestic issues. For example, this time around, uh, the Biden, President Biden saying, okay, uh, uh, you know, Niger, Gabon, uh, CAR, uh, and also Uganda, you're not qualified. Now, what is the reason? Uh, of course, the Niger, Gabon, seems, uh, CAR, CAR, seems, uh, you know, has something to do with the military, uh, the scoop, whatever. But the Uganda, uh, simply because, the Uganda government passed the act saying anti against those homosexual uh, this behavior. Mm. So this is totally fit with Africans' culture. You know, yeah. has nothing to do with the human rights issue. But they are using this double standard way, saying, "All right, you are not qualified because their eyes on the domestic voter. Uh, those homosexual people in United States are uh, doing this is trying to neuter those people at home uh, to continue." to vote for uh, Biden rather than go to uh, Donald Trump. Mm. So this is an effort becoming a tour uh, for them, for the White House people to play around. Mm. Well, thank you very much for putting this uh, into perspective. And thank you very much for joining us. That was Dr. He Wenping, Africa expert and a senior research fellow with the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. That's all the time for this edition of World Today. I'm Ding Hanin Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.